Well, good afternoon, church. Great to be with you. Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Tom, I take it as an honor and privilege that I get to share the 50th anniversary moment with you. 50 years worthy of celebration. How many were here last night? I just want wave at me. Okay, fantastic. Then the next few moments will make sense. For those of you who weren't here last night, you'll be having glazed eyes of wonderment about what is the preacher doing. But I had to capture the moment in a whimsical manner. So 50 years of God's grace. Pastor Tom greets us all. Photo booth and video loop, mugs and ornaments in the hall. College football set aside, the Carey family gathers to thank the Lord for 50 years of doing that which matters. 30 years of living life may change a person's face. We're all greeted with the care that evidences God's grace. Danny's been here six years now, must have started at age 12, interviews the faithful saints, and into their story delves. Reverend Smiley preached every Sunday twice, shuttled by Red, the silent chauffeur. Good leadership has been your heritage. With that, you all concur. Volunteers build the church and work on the building, too. But the real progress was made when the deaconesses fed the crew. Missionaries are sent. The Sessoms were the first. A teen attends a lock-in that quenches her spiritual thirst. 90s styles, as we saw on the screen, came and went, a fact no one seems to regret. God's Word is what endures. Pastor Page has the quizzers set. Pastor Mitchell pinch hits with a message from Isaiah 6, and through the 33-year veteran, our eyes on Jesus fix. Winged creatures of heaven cover themselves before uncreated holiness. The gospel begins in our hearts from a posture of lowliness. A bold, antsy, gotta get going. 50 years is just a start. Let's not live a prayerless day, but with the gospel in our heart. Food awaits. We'll figure it out. Kelly comes to the rescue. Your generosity, the DS commends. There's still much work to do. 50 years of blessing. 50 years of family ties. May you continue on with forward faith till we're gathered in the skies. Carry Alliance Church of family on a mission to love each other well while completing Christ's commission. 50 years. I'm not pretending it's decent poetry, but I wanted to honor the moment together because um, God has been faithful to you, and you have been faithful to him and one another in the process. And so it's right. It's right for us just to sit back and, uh, and eat. I'm, I don't believe I've ever seen more food provided by one church in one setting in my life as what took place last night, but that was fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. Bible trivia moment. Can you tell me what books of the Bible have 50 chapters or more? 
Genesis, right away, very first book, 50 chapters on the dot. The easy one, thank you, thank you. 50 chapters, 150 in Psalm. Two more. Isaiah, fantastic. And right next to it, Jeremiah. Yeah, two of the major prophets have 50 plus chapters. So I, I don't have a 50th anniversary sermon, even though I've done lots of 50th anniversaries in, uh, in various settings. But, I don't, but this week I thought I should look at the 50s in the Bible, just those chapters. And I don't have time today to cover Psalm or Isaiah because those are rich as well. And actually, there is a thread uh, that you could find flowing through. But for this moment, and I won't take the full 45 that uh, has been offered to me, um, but he disappeared anyway. So uh, uh, the uh, Genesis and Jeremiah, I find an interesting thread and truth that I would like to bring to us today that I'm just discovering. Oh, he didn't disappear. He just changed seats. All right. I, I, I got my eye on you, brother. Okay. Genesis 50. Here's the story. You remember Joseph, who has uh, had his dreams and been sold by his brothers and become a slave and ends up as second in command of Pharaoh's courts and sees the brothers appear before him and is suddenly living out the dream that he uh, had received in an unexpected way. Dad dies and they bury him. Brothers come to him and say, uh, Dad told us, <laughs> excuse me, Dad told us before he died uh, to be nice to us. And that grieves him deeply because he had already forgiven them for what they had done. And here's where we get inside in Genesis 50 that fabulous phrase You intended to harm me but God intended it for good. And then it says that Joseph lived to be 110 years of age, and on his deathbed, he looks ahead and says to the brothers, uh, it's uh, Genesis 50, verse 24, I'm about to die, but God will surely come, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of the land that he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God has made a promise to us. God has said that he would do something, and here we are. We're not living in the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the past. We're not living there. We're living in Egypt. But after I die, God is going to come to our aid, and he says it twice in two verses God is going to come to our aid and fulfill the promise that he's given to us. A dying man clinging to an old promise that's not yet fulfilled and then says to his brothers, and when it happens, you better dig up my bones and haul me with you because I don't want to be buried in, in Egypt. I want to be buried in the promised land. Friends, a 110-year-old man on his deathbed that has not lived to see the fulfillment of the promise lifts up his shield of faith and says, God's going to do what he said he was going to do. My question to us this morning is, uh, what step of faith is God asking you to take so that this church will remain faithful until Christ returns. What step of faith is God calling you as individuals or you as a community of believers? What step of faith is God calling you to take 
so that you will stay faithful. You see, when we hear the word faithful or faithfulness, we think of, well, give me some synonyms. synonyms. What do you think of when you hear faithful or faithfulness? What, what do you think of? Steadfast. Loyal. Endurance. Persevering. Those kind of things. Yes, yeah, so, and, and that's accurate. That's good. But you take faith out of faithfulness, and you don't have the fullness of faithfulness. Did you follow that sentence? <laughs> if you take faith out of faithfulness, you don't have the fullness of faithfulness. You see, faith is essential for us to be faithful, steady, enduring, persevering, loyal people. Faith is required. What step of faith, what Joseph moment is he calling out of us to lift up our shields of faith and trust God for something that you've longed for, believed in, maybe even believed you've heard the promise of God, but it's not yet been fulfilled. What step of faith is he calling you to take to act upon that? Because without action, there is no faithfulness. You can't be passively faithful. You're just stuck. <laughs> You're just in a rut. <laughs> no, no. Proactivity, activity, and engagement, involvement. That, that antsy, let's get going. <laughs> that, that you said last night, Pastor Mitchell, is, is required. Do you notice that I said in passing a reference from Ephesians 6 to lift up your shield of faith? I find that so fascinating that the Scripture says to take on the helmet and the breastplate and wear the gospel boots well and all that. But, but when it comes to faith, there's this activity that's associated with it for us to lift up our shield of faith. I think it's the tendency for a lot of us believers to have our faith like that God confidence, God, I'm trusting you, I have to have that faith drooping at our side. And how many arrows of the enemy are you going to quench with your faith shield down here? You are a target for the lies of the enemy of discouragement is one of his primary weapons that he will shoot at you. Faithfulness is undermined when discouragement finds its root in our heart. We do not step forward in faith when we are in a state of discouragement, so we lift up our shields of faith. Is this making sense? To quench those fiery darts, the wicked one, so we can move forward in faith. This might sound very simplistic to you, but I think I'm identifying what actually causes a lot of churches and a lot of generations to pull back in discouragement, let their faith fill drop, and not believe that the promises of God are still active, alive, and to be fulfilled, even if you don't live to get to see the fulfillment of it. Can we, right now, identify the lie, older generation, those of you that are 60 and older with me, can we identify the lie that somehow we think that we're the generation that's carried the gospel and everything else is just going to hell in a handbasket? And then when we pass... Woe be to this. No, no, no. The kingdom of Christ will endure until Jesus himself returns. The generations will pick up the gospel. The church will advance. The, the dream doesn't die with us. That's we have Joseph's among us. 
who at age 110 are still believing that God's going to do what God said he was going to do. And we're going to occupy that land someday and take my bones with you when you do. I love that spirit. By the way, those shields of faith, uh, if you've watched a good movie on ancient Rome or fighting uh, wars back in that day, you will note that they operated those shields best when they were in battle formation, and those shields were actually side to side to side to side. And when the Roman army was coming at you with their shields up, it was an advancing wall of shields that was coming at you as, as a, like a bulldozer, just advancing, marching, arrows getting knocked off because there was no gap in between, and together they advanced. Let me say it this way. <laughs> you were never intended to do the Christian journey alone. You were never intended to be an isolated Christian, but what happens when you have a crisis like Joanne and I did, and I went from being a ultramarathon runner, a guy too stupid to stop at 26 miles, running 50, 60 kilometers up and down the mountains of Oregon, to not being able to drive a car in one week's time, was hospitalized in a coma, 18 months of feeding tube, uh, wheelchair, et cetera, et cetera, lost 50 pounds of muscle mass, and, and we, we had a crisis, and uh, that's part of what that book is about, but one of the, one of the top five takeaways for Joanne and I in that season of crisis was when you need people the most, you're going to be tempted to be with them the least. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you need people the most, the tendency is, the temptation is to isolate, to pull away, to just be by ourselves, to, to not lean into community and go... I used to be pastor of the church, and now going to church was the single hardest thing for us in the year 2009. All these happy people singing happy songs, asking happy questions. How are you, pastor? Worse than last week. How are you? I, I, just, I just hated it. I, we just wanted to isolate. But the enemy is trying to set you in a zone so that he can pick you off easier because here's what's happening. Your faith during a crisis is down to a little thread. And somebody around you still has faith the size of a rope. And please know this, church. It's okay to hang on to somebody else's faith for a while when your faith is really thin. Because guess what happens? The day's going to come when your faith is strong again and somebody else is hanging on to your faith. That's why we're in community. So when we need people the least, when we need people the most, we're tempted to be with them the least, but join your shield of faith together. Advance together, Carrie Lyons Church, as you are doing. And trust God that there's still things that he is accomplishing in this world through you. Still visions to be fulfilled. What step of faith is God calling you to take at this moment in time? Fascinating to me. You flip over to Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah <laughs> has not had an easy ministry, as Pastor Mitchell mentioned last night. He's ministered for decades, and really nobody's listened to him. 
And because they haven't listened to him, the Babylonian army came in from the north, conquered Jerusalem, took people away as exiles, left a little group of people there. Jeremiah is among them. They say to Jeremiah, what should we do? He says, live under the subjection to the Babylonians, settle in here. And they say, God hasn't spoken to you. And they reject what he has to say. And they haul him off to Egypt. And you get to Jeremiah chapter 50, as I understand it, and Jeremiah in chapter 50 is in the same place that Joseph was in chapter 50. And now it's not just the Egyptians that are ruling over him. Now it's the Babylonians that are ruling over him. And Jeremiah, an old man, looks ahead and says in Jeremiah 50, the Babylonians, like the strongest power in the world at the moment, the Babylonians, they're going to be gone. They won't last. Yet, uh, verse 33, this is what the Lord Almighty says. The people of Israel are oppressed, and the people of Judah as well. All their captors hold them fast, refusing to let them go. There says there's a, a stranglehold on the people of God, so it seems. Verse 34, yet their Redeemer is strong, the old man declares. For the Lord Almighty is his name. <laughs> Circumstances aren't too good right now. <laughs> Jeremiah's hauled away to Egypt. Other people are hauled away to Babylon. Babylon has this crushing hold on everything. And the prophetic voice rises and says, but there's more to the story. The current chapter isn't the last chapter because our Redeemer is strong. What step of faith is God calling you to lift up your shield and declare, my Redeemer is strong? And this might feel like it's got a hold on us right now, but that doesn't get to endure because that's just a temporary passing thing in an evil, broken, messed up, wicked world that doesn't endure. What does endure is the plan of God, the Word of God, the love of God, and the church of God. Not every church will survive individually until Christ returns, but the church will but is it not fascinating that Jesus himself said that when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith, it seems, this courageous trust in the goodness of God. Faith, it seems, is what is challenged most in the final days before the return of Christ. Will we still believe that he is good? Will we still believe that his mission will be accomplished? Will we see the grand story from Genesis 12, all nations on earth will be blessed to Revelation 7, and there are people before the throne from every tribe and tongue and nation and people Will we believe that that grand story will be fulfilled? 
And then Christ returns when there's representatives in heaven from every tribe, tongue, language, and people. So, what's up with faith? Does that mean re-entering into a relationship that you thought was totally lost, but believing there's still something to be redeemed there? Does that mean looking at your bank account and saying, you know, how much does a person really need? And during a time of inflation and crazy economics when church giving is down and prices are up, I'm going to go against the trend and I'm going to take a step of faith and give a major gift. For others, it's that person doesn't want to hear the gospel. That person never wants to talk about Jesus. That person's not interested in my faith. That's the lie being shot at you by the enemy. And when you take the step of faith, winsomely, lovingly, mention the name of Jesus, and your love for Christ in that conversation. It might fall, like, seem like it didn't go anywhere. But maybe that fall was actually a seed being dropped into their heart. Visually, visually, Joseph and Jeremiah lived at far worse times than we do. Yet prophetic voices lifted up shields of faith and declared that their Redeemer was strong, that their promise giver would be the promise keeper and fulfill his word. For your denomination, the Christmas Alliance, our step of faith in these days has been to say goodbye to a city, an office that we loved in a very comfortable setting that we could have stayed in for decades without anybody complaining. We had a good situation in Colorado Springs, a place that people love to live, try to get there, but for a variety of reasons, I'd love to share it some other time. We said, we need to take a step of faith and do a do-over. Every Christian organization I know, denominations, mission, evangelistic, nonprofit organizations, every Christian organization I know does the same thing. We get a building, put our staff inside, lock the door 40 hours a week, guaranteeing that those who oversee the mission don't actually have to engage with a non-Christian the 40 hours we're at work. But who are we becoming by what we're repeatedly doing over the course of the decades? How does that shape a mission organization when the staff doesn't actually have to engage with the world. That started to seem crazy to us. We needed to be a disruptor and break an entire trend of decades of hibernating and hiding out in business parks and for us to re-enter the marketplace, which is actually where the Christian Missionary Line started, a half block from Times Square. Talk about an eye for property. <laughs> Dr. Simpson had it. That's what your denominational leadership is doing as a step of faith. Is this a crazy time to build? Hello, have you seen construction costs? <laughs> is this a crazy time to tell a staff, uh, you know, you got to relocate if you want to keep your job? Yeah, but a step of faith that we have taken. What step of faith is God calling you to take to declare that your Redeemer is strong? His work is not yet finished. You're not the last generation that will be champions of the faith, but his kingdom will advance until his son returns.
Let's pray. So living Christ, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in fascinating ways. What are you whispering to your church right now? May we walk in it. In Christ's name.